The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm here with Spencer, the Wizard Grossinger. And we just finished a long Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to dive right into the NFL. Some really fascinating games. Firstly, I want to deal with New York Giants, Washington Redskins. Hello, everybody. It's nice to be back again on the show. It was a good week of NFL football this week. The Giants beat the Redskins 24-17. to It was a good win for the Giants, especially because the Redskins, being at 3-7, and have realized that their season has been over for several months now. They weren't mathematically eliminated until Sunday, but you knew that once they lost to the Dallas Cowboys and they started off at 3-6, and that they weren't going to turn things around. And the New York Giants just suffered a horrible loss to the Dallas Cowboys, a heartbreaking defeat at the hands of Dallas, crushing their playoff hopes. And really, getting at 9-7 and seven and earning a spot is pretty unrealistic. So the Giants pretty much are now fading into what is called now playing for pride and not playing for their hopes of going to the Super Bowl in their own city. And for the New York Giants, that's a, that's a hard reality to face. It's hard being the having the first week of not having playoffs to look forward to. So the New York Giants went into Washington, got down 14 to nothing, but then they mustered up the strength. They still found the love of what the game of football had to offer, and they still came back in and managed to win the football game. Eli Manning had his most efficient game of the year, going 22 for 28, a touchdown and no interceptions. And they got a nice contribution from Peyton Hillis this week. And the Giants really responded well in the second quarter, scoring 14 points. And then in the fourth quarter, Justin Tuck went wild with four sacks. And that was really a beautiful thing to see for the New York Giants. Justin Tuck still showing why he can be an elite defensive end. Well, I certainly uh, echo your sentiments. It's a good lesson for everybody out there who plays sports. These guys play sports for a living. And we really uh, we follow all the post-game action. Not that there's any action. It's mostly talk. But Eli Manning at the end of the game, he just looked real relaxed. He just said, we're having fun. Tonight was a fun game. And uh, that's what makes the team a winner. He was relaxed. They came back and won 24-17. 
Justin Tuck, four sacks. And the team looked loose. The Redskins really are spiraling. I feel bad for RG3. He looks like he's really laboring on the leg. He's getting hit. And he's a real warrior. He just keeps coming back up. And I'm just I'm hoping that he doesn't suffer long-term injuries for plague this season. It's just a long season, and they're really getting worn down. Last season, he had all off-season to heal his knee. He still came back. He still didn't look like he was ready versus the Eagles. If you were Washington, would you expect RG3 to to ever be better? Because, come on, I mean, he had eight months to recover, and and he did not seem to recover in in the least. He seemed to be even more unhealthy than he was in the Seattle game versus the Philadelphia Eagles. So my question to you is, what is the solution to RG3 long-term? And if there is, and if there, and would you rather maybe not... Maybe there isn't a solution. Maybe you would rather go for another option in this year's draft. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to use Derek Rosen as, as an example. RG3 suffered um, major knee injury. He had a major knee injury, uh, also had a surgery, and then came back, and he had to wear a brace. And I just think looking at him right now, if I was the Redskins, I would shut him down for the rest of the season. I'd let him rehab for the rest of the year. And look at Derrick Rose. I mean, unfortunately, he suffered a totally different injury. He, he suffered a cruciate tear. Really bad luck. And But the fact is that, in my view, the Redskins season's over. I would let RG3 just heal, get strong, ju- just, just rehab, work hard, get strong. And I think he's a great player. But I don't think he ever really recovered. And a lot of players around the league you know, s- suggested that he uh, th- that he that he not play last year and he really got banged up. We've got America's Game of the Week, Broncos Chiefs, really exciting game. Peyton Manning, another game, over 400 yards, 22 for 35, just a magical season, five touchdowns, and uh, the Ch- the Chiefs gave him a run for their money, but this was uh, the Broncos game to take control of the division. 10-2, and two, beating the Chiefs for the second time in three weeks, 35-28. to 28. When you look at the Denver Broncos, you see, you see a team that, playing in ideal conditions, can, can move the football. And I had doubts about Peyton Manning's arm strength, especially last week on the show when he went to Foxborough, and he couldn't, he, he couldn't throw the ball through the air. 40 plus yards or more he wasn't a scary quarterback he wasn't threatening he wasn't a quarterback that you feared would hit you over the top of a big pass he just looked like a guy who was intelligent knew the reads but his receivers were getting jammed off the line and it looked like he couldn't hurt you at all throwing the ball looked like he was actually had a really weak arm in Foxborough he looked very Chad Pettington-ish meaning that he can only throw underneath passes. But in Kansas City, I was extremely impressed by Peyton because if I was Kansas City, I did the exact thing I wanted. I played man coverage on the wide receiver, and I rushed four guy, and I rushed more players at Peyton. And in the first half, it worked. They were getting home. Peyton was 21 of 7. But at halftime, he made adjustments, and he found Eric Decker. And I got to give credit to Peyton Manning. I mean, those throws to Eric Decker, the three touchdown throws particularly, 
were absolutely some of the prettiest balls I've seen all year. They were complete dimes over the top, where the ball needed to be placed in very tight windows. It was still, Peyton was still throwing with gloves on, and it it was 41 degrees at the start of the game, and the wind temperature was down. But in the first game, you saw the Kansas City Chiefs just sacrificing yards, just spotting Denver of 5, 10 yards. So you know what they did? They jammed up on the receivers. They said, you're not going to get the 5, 10 yards. We're going to play you man-to-man. You're going to have to beat us. And I thought that that was the totally correct move by Reed and the Chiefs this week. It was a really rational move. Um, And Peyton Manning and Eric Decker particularly ate up the rookie and continued to do it. Now, if the now if the Chiefs didn't have that rookie in the game, they would have moved him. They could have, you know, offered up some support because I didn't see any of the other Denver receivers having that success. But you got to give credit to Peyton. I mean, the Chiefs this year, if you watch Peyton Manning, he has two completely different game plans, and he does what the defense gives him. He takes what the defense gives him, and the defense was giving him that over the top, and uh, he made them pay. It was it was tremendous to see that, and I got to give it to Peyton. I thought that he didn't have it in him to to actually throw deep down the field, but he's still a very prolific deep thrower. That was that was really an impressive performance. Let's move back here to Philadelphia. The Eagles win fourth game in a row. Looking at it, you see Nick Foles, another workmanlike performance. 21 for 34, 237 yards, another three touchdowns. Very close to... And Nick Foles is actually one touchdown away from setting an all-time record for the most touchdowns without an interception. And again, Foles... He must have had the lucky leprechaun. That is, he threw an off-balance pass. It was an interception. But a penalty against the Cardinals erased the interception, and he kept his pristine record alive. Very impressed with Mendenhall, 76 yards. Carson Palmer threw for over 302 yards. I think the Cardinals admitted that the crowd really got to them at the end and that Bruce Arians... Came away with some positives. He felt that it was very good for the Cardinals to have a game on the road with a hostile crowd, and the team almost won. And again, this is a pattern for the Eagles. They get ahead to a nice lead, 17-7 and a half, and then they have to eke it out. And Chip Kelly, somewhat controversially, if that's a word, essentially was running the, the, the hurry-up offense even at a time when all the announcers on the broadcast, including Moose Johnson, Tony Saraguso, were all criticizing Chip Kelly for not slowing it down. What are your thoughts of that? Well, I think it's a lot better to get out to a lead and and, and play that style of football. I, I didn't, and even in this game, the Cardinals really weren't threatening at all. I saw the Cardinals getting down twenty-four to seven by seventeen points. The percentages of of teams winning that are probably under. 12%. They let Nick Foles run wild on them. They didn't they didn't stick the tight ends at all. Pretty matador defense. Got to give Nick Foles credit. I was completely wrong on him. Um I'm still not ready to say he's an elite quarterback though. Even though he's had five good games, if he can carry it out throughout two seasons like Russell Wilson is and do it on bigger stages and playoff moments, then I could definitely see 
the hype, but Arizona is not a good East Coast team. They're not a particularly strong team when playing on the East. And Carson Palmer in that offense is is a, is a pretty good offense, but I don't think that they're an elite offense. The defensive secondary of the Cardinals is good. I will give Nick Foles credit for finding places to go with the football, which is to the tight ends, away from Patrick Peterson. He had a good game. I'll definitely give him that. He's had a good stretch of five games. The teammates seem to be doing well under him. I just want to see if Nick Foles can do this in the playoffs. I'm not ready to call him elite yet. Well, we're nearing the end of this first segment. I want to thank Ray Ellis, the director of Voice America Sports, I want to thank Jeff Spinard for the great opportunity to reach out to all you fans. And we appreciate all your listeners. Uh, we're very proud to announce that the listenership keeps on growing. You must be doing something right. So stay tuned. We'll be back in three minutes. Thanks for listening to Bruce the Sports Doc. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're back here breaking down the NFL and I would say there's some very bizarre and frankly weird things that happened this weekend. Flash to Raven Steelers game. You see the coach of the Steelers. Mike Tomlin looking up at the Jumbotron and actually on the field. When's the last time that you saw a coach? Actually, there was one time we could remember when a coach actually 
put his foot out to, to trip a player who's right down the sidelines. Spence, you remember that game? It was, it was the Jets' assistant coaches. That is the ex-assistant coaches. They were coached to, uh, to block the sidelines. In this case, Mike Tomlin was literally on the field. Jacoby Jones was running for looked like a sure touchdown. He saw Tomlin, broke stride, cut back, and was tackled. And there's a lot of speculation as to what fines will be dealt out or what penalties. Some people think it could be so far as the Steelers losing a draft pick. Other people think that Tomlin could be suspended. Most people, that is the experts, including us, believe it's going to be a nice whopping fine. A lot more than the uh, Coca-Cola gate. That is Jason Kidd spilling his soda, and he got a nice whopping $50,000 fine from the NBA. So it's just a bizarre time when we could talk about coaches intervening and trying to stack the deck, trying to put the ace of spades in the middle of the cards and then pocketing it to give yourself a royal flush. In this case, Mike Tomlin admitted that he lost his position, but he was actually looking at the Jumbotron. A little interesting to think that he was watching and he saw that the play was coming his way and in a little gamesmanship. But I think that's going to cost him a pretty penny. I'm thinking at least $100,000. Yeah, I would say 100000 for this case is, is appropriate. I would say 150000 would be the right mark. Losing a draft pick and punishing the Steelers franchise as a whole for one individual's actions are not really appropriate. And say that the Steelers, they're not going to do this, but if you were to not have Mike Tomlin next season not having that draft pick for the future coach would not make sense for a guy putting his foot on the field. That's why I think that if you punish Mike Tomlin specifically by by uh, taking away from his, from his personal bank account and not the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers, because the Steelers owners, they were not a part of these actions at all. Well, then we can flash to a brief little snippet, a very bizarre play. Watching the 49ers game, Vernon Davis caught a ball going to the outside sidelines, and the defender literally clamped on his groin like a piranha fish. I saw the play, and I saw replays over and over again, and this is, this is really one of the dirtiest plays I've seen. Certainly, uh, Mr. Sue for the Lions, he's, he's, he's bitten a few people, he stopped on people's faces. But this was clearly a premeditated act, and Vernon Davis was, was injured. He said it was the most pain he's ever felt. I think that there has to be some action by the league. This is just crossing the line, and you know you just you just can't get away with, with something literally a low blow. It's like in boxing where there's a low blow, guy gets penalized, he gets docked points. Uh, just just something we haven't seen before. So I said this this has been a, a bizarre weekend of football, certainly capped off by uh, uh, what we call turnstile gate, Mike Tomlin, certainly uh, groin grabbing, and in, in, in we call the groin clamp maneuver. Uh, just really um, bizarre situation. I look at that situation, and I think that the football play happens a lot faster than, than what the replay indicates. I mean, that specific player doesn't have a history of doing that type of play. And... 
The only thing that was that that was really awful about the play was that he held on. If he would have quickly readjusted his position, I think he still would have made the tackle, and then people would have just understood that you're supposed to go, you know, lower than the shoulders or, or and not risk getting a helmet helmet penalty because these defensive backs not only do they have to slow down these wide receivers, but they have such a small radius of a hitting zone compared to what they used to have in this league. I actually believe that this guy might have just made a mistake, um, might have just accidentally reached there to to make the tackle, um, and I I could understand his mistake. I, I thought he should have done a better job of I guess letting go of his stance, which is tougher to do because you have to get the runner down. So I kind of sympathize sympathize more with the defender here. I'm not condoning it, like hitting in that area, but. It's a quick. I think it's a quicker play than what most people are thinking. I don't think you can intentionally do something like that in the spur of the moment. That that's just kind of what I see. Just you know, when I look at how fast football plays go. Well, speaking of the bizarre, very unusual ending to the Redskins Giants game. Uh, one of the worst officiating jobs. That is selectively speaking, at the end of the game. Pierre Gasson was ob- was obviously two yards short. Everybody saw it, and rather than stop and make sure they got it right or do a measurement, the referee Jeff Triplett signaled thirty down, third down, but the headlines of it signaled a first down. Mike Shanahan, the coach of the Redskins, asked him and said, "What's going on?" And he said, "It's a first down. We don't have to measure it." So. What did the Redskins do? They they called a long slant play, which they figured was a play they would call on first down. They didn't try to get the two yards for the first down. And then on the fourth down, they ultimately had the play broken up and lost the game. So clearly the referees in action, not getting it right, calling a first down and moving the chains when it was actually a third down was something I can't recall seeing. And it really had an effect on the end of the game. It did because the Redskins on third down decided to go deep down uh, down the middle of the field for Jordan Reed on a 30-yard pass. And if they needed two yards, they obviously would have called either a running play and then spiked it. Or I'm assuming that Mike and Kyle Shanahan would not have called a play 30 yards because they were thinking, let's take a shot. We have a couple more downs and this won't put us down to our last play, which it ultimately did. Um, now the situation is made more complicated. The refs, a matter of factly, caught a break because the last play of the game was so notably awful. If Pierre Garcon would have went to the ground and normally not made a tackle and, and, and normally not fumbled the ball, if he would have simply made the catch and it would have been a first down, this all would have been overshadowed. But the fact that he fumbled, it puts the blame squarely back on the refs because this would have been this mistake wouldn't have been magnified if the game had continued and the and the Redskins still had four more downs to go down the field. It would have been a little blip on the radar of the game, but since the Redskins ended up failing that fourth down, it completely blew the situation to the to the uh, extent that it 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 ultimately was. I do believe it's a huge mistake for refs to be making. They have to be on the same page. They get paid big dollars to be on the same page. And there the refs could even 
Well, essentially, they just have to do a better job of communicating with the chains, obviously. But the fact is, at that point in the game, Garcon is a lot to blame, too. He had the first down in his hands. He got stripped, and the Giants won the game. It's also frustrating from a Giants standpoint because now the refs are getting credit when the Giants really deserve to win that football game. And the chances of the Redskins, even if it was a first down, the chances of them tying the game up, they couldn't move the ball at all in the fourth quarter the odds would still be heavily with the New York Giants. To the league's credit, the officiating director, Dean Blandino, made a statement clarifying that there was obvious confusion at the end of the game and there should have been a stoppage regardless of the fact that Washington had no timeouts and it was inside two minutes. So, as a classy maneuver... Bledito called Shanahan and admitted the mistake. And essentially, Shanahan said, there was a mistake, you have to live with it. So Shanahan, being an adult, you know, he handled it pretty well. He was upset at the end of the game, but in his his post-game press conference, showed some poise. Um, I'm not sure what Shanahan's future in in Washington is going to be. But they certainly got hosed on that particular play. And uh, again... I would call this, you know, this whole segment was about bizarre things that happened in the NFL. Really excited to start talking about college basketball. Two improbable teams, undefeated. Two of our favorite teams, teams we have a spotlight on, Wichita State and the Villanova Wildcats. So be back in three. For all you college basketball fans, we're going we're gonna to hit some college basketball and we're going to finish up strong with some sports medicine. So, Spencer and I appreciate your listening to Bruce the Sports Talk. We'll be back in three minutes. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds Bart. They need a bitch's ass. 
I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. In this segment... We're going to talk about college athletics, leading off by the improbable come-from-behind victory. The Auburn Tigers slayed Goliath with a last-second run back of a missed field goal for a touchdown. Yeah, and the, the one constant that I saw throughout that football game was how cool it would be to be in Auburn to be part of that Auburn community in that student section because that was the most vibrant community football I've ever seen and the SEC never fails to disappoint in that regard and that the passion for college football is just so contagious and that that stuff that's kind of stuff you want to do at least once in your lifetime is and is attend an iron bowl and now it's the most exciting iron bowl finish ever even the game where alabama was up by 27 a couple years ago where um cam newton came back and won that football game that auburn game was more special the thing that i saw that really impressed me the most was how auburn held up in the trenches how that running back mason really was able to go go through the middle of the field at will when he wanted to and how Nick Marshall was able to go over a hundred yards and uh, we have we have a a little altercation going on right now in studio um some of our pets have gone have gotten out of hand but luckily we're able to go on. But anyway, about how Auburn was just able to control the trenches, be able to stay in striking condition, and the poise of Gus Malzahn. I mean, this football team was 2-10. and 10. They were 0-8 in the SEC. They, they won no games last year. I think they might have won maybe one SEC football game, and uh, or maybe two. And then this year they come out, and it's Auburn and Missouri for the title. Combined 2-14 and 14 those teams were last year in the SEC conference. So what a difference a year makes. It's unbelievable how these how um, these these teams could change form so quickly. But again, down twenty one to seven, Auburn could have selected to put Nick Marshall in terrible situations by throwing and forcing and playing right in the Saban's hands. They didn't. They trusted what they've built their all all season, which has been their option running game. And you got to give Auburn so much credit for sticking with their game plan, even when they were down 21-7. And then a beautifully designed drive where Marshall only threw one time, but the deception of that pass was truly special. Again, either running the option through the middle of the field or, or, or Marshall going to the outside. So just a two-headed monster really helped with the Auburn Tigers. I thought it, Coach Saban should have let an A.J. McCarron, his 
four-year Heisman senior candidate. I thought he should have let the game come down to AJ's hand more. I thought there should have been more pass plays for McCarron because McCarron was having success. And when you have Amari Cooper on the outside, that guy is a threat to take it to the house every time. So, a heck of a football game. And by Nick Saban, I don't blame him going for that 57-yarder because that kicker was making it in practice. What are your feel, Dad, about how Nick Saban handled the last play? It's easy to play Monday morning quarterback and to call a Hail Mary, but that kicker was making it from 57 yards. And I can tell you as, as Auburn fans, I'm sure they were more scared of a field goal going down from that kicker than a Hail Mary attempt. Well. I'm sure Saban, if he had to do it over again, would kick himself because it looked like, you know, I don't want to say these guys were big fat guys, but as I always say, if the shoe fits, wear it. Saban decided to put the biggest and fattest guys there to make sure nobody blocked the kick, not really thinking that there was a real chance for the kick to come short. And when the kickoff, when the guys started running back, it just looked like Alabama had no speed at all. These guys were just, it reminded me of the old uh, the electric football where you have the felt guys running around in circles. That's, that's what the Alabama team looked like. And that's something, you know, this in the spur of the moment, just you can't think about everything, but that was a huge mistake. Not, not keeping anybody back. You know, if you had one fast guy, he could have made a tackle and the game would have gone into overtime. But that's what, that's the, the lore of, college football, it reminded me of when the band in the uh, Cal-Stanford game, when the band came on. This certainly ranks up there with the Doug Flutie Hail Mary at the end of a game to win. This is definitely the top three most exciting finishes I've seen. And given the magnitude of number one against number four, the team who emerged would be playing for the SEC championship, and the idea of of bringing down Goliath, a team that that was poised for another national championship with a veteran senior quarterback, A.J. McCarron, especially after 99-yard touchdown pass, which was just brilliant. It just, it just like everything was going Alabama's way. And my thought was if it went into overtime, Alabama had the momentum and would have ended up winning. That's my, my thought. But a very improbable game. You know, I would say Alabama would win 9 out of 10 times. But that's why they play the games, and that's the allure of sports. That's why we love sports so much, and really an exciting finish. I completely agree with you that Alabama is still by far the best college football team in America. If they got another chance in a playoff, I think that they would run the table pretty handily. I mean, I think Florida State would maybe give them a little bit of a challenge, but certainly not Auburn. I mean, if you can imagine Nick Saban getting a chance to play Auburn again, I'm, you know, Auburn's a very one-dimensional team with running the football, and I think that Florida State, a very physical team, even more physical than Alabama, I think if you could really show shut down the run you have a great chance at winning and I'm not even sure Auburn can get past Missouri I mean the way Auburn's been winning their games at Texas A&M the week before at Georgia and then this week versus versus Alabama they definitely are the team of destiny you got to give them a lot of credit for competing and winning these football games but they're doing it by the skin of their teeth so um, 
I, you know, if Florida State or Bama took the field, I still think they're the two most talented teams in football. And even though, and I just think the elements of Tiger Stadium, the missed field goals, the special team disasters, and not putting the ball in McCarron's hand and not having a good enough scheme on defense, I think hurt the Crimson Tide here on the road. Now we have a situation in the BCS where Ohio State is now slated at number two. And Ohio State plays in the Big Ten, which is not a prolific conference this season. They've played foes such as Iowa, such as Wisconsin, Penn State, Indiana. Ohio State this year doesn't really have a marquee win on their schedule. And now you look at Wisconsin, and they're a three-loss football team that just lost to the hands of Penn State. Wisconsin's not a bad football team, but if you look at Auburn, They went to College Station, into College Station, and won. They played Mississippi, not an easy game. They played Bo Wallace and those boys and handled them at home. They played Georgia, still Aaron Murray, and still won that game. And then they had, of course, they lost in Bad Rouge, but still, that had to take a lot out of a team going into Louisiana like that. So you look at Ohio State. I believe if Ohio State played in the SEC, that they would that they would at least have a loss. What What are your thoughts about Ohio State going to Texas A and M, playing Alabama, playing Georgia, playing LSU, Ole Miss? Just the the gauntlet that is that 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 um that conference. I mean, you look at Ohio State playing Michigan and Iowa; they struggled in those two games this year. Well, I'd have to agree with you. I think the um, clearly Alabama and Florida State are the two strongest teams. Now, again, Auburn has a college offense, not a pro offense. A lot of running. Um, t- two two backs ran for over 100 yards against Alabama, which is very unique. It's been a long time since that's happened. But when you look at it, you just wonder how things are going to shake out. Ohio State really lucked out that Michigan really uh, – Took a shot, you know. They went for two. They lost. Ohio State came with a one-point victory. And right now, however, Auburn, if you look at the voters in all of the polls, Auburn is just a shade below Ohio State. And Auburn is going to play the SEC championship against Missouri. If they win handily, I believe they're going to overtake Ohio State. And you're going to end up with FSU against Auburn. That's that's my prediction for the BCS championship. Again, next year, as you know, there are going to be four teams. It would be it would be great to have four teams going to a playoff with the teams that we see, the strong teams we see this year. Absolutely. More teams, the better. It would still have the same controversy, though, because there are still a ton of one-loss teams at the top. But you look at Brad Edwards today, who is the BCS. He's the guy who does all the BCS statistics at ESPN. He said basically that if Ohio State beat Michigan State, they would pretty much be guaranteed to play in the national championship. Because according to the computers, Ohio State is still significantly ahead of Auburn and they would need 75% of the voters to vote in Auburn which is pretty much not, pretty much not going to happen because Urban Meyer still has his support and a team going 24-0 in the past um, two seasons is pretty spectacular. I will admit 
that Ohio State has handled their schedule and has won. The way that they've won is not that impressive. And in college football, I still think that Alabama would rack them, um, and I still think Florida State is going to have the upper hand when they play Ohio State. The last question for you is that I believe the Urban Meyer effect him playing in the SEC, him playing at a high level, or him coaching at a high level, rather, and him with the Florida Gators, and beating Alabama, beating Saban, winning national championships over Sam Bradford, so on and so forth, with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. I think that Urban Meyer's a big-time coach. I think that he, when I think of Ohio State, I think of him and success. If he wasn't coaching there, I don't believe they get the respect they deserve. Is an Urban Meyer, is he a huge factor coming from the SEC and knowing what it takes to prepare for a big game to the voters' eyes. Well, the way it works with the BCS, it has its problems, but with respect to strength of schedule, obviously it is what it is. With with the degree of victory, as you know, when a team wins by a greater margin, they get there's so much that gets fed into the computer, and I believe that Again, I agree with your analysis that if indeed the strength of schedule is such that if Ohio State beats Michigan State, that they will win, then that's what it is. And I believe that would be the case. Ohio State has had, uh, you know, you know, started with Woody Hayes and, uh, and moving through to the present with Urban Meyer. It's a very respected school. It's a gigantic school, a, a football powerhouse, and... Based on what you're suggesting, the fact that Auburn has a loss and Ohio State's undefeated, it's probably going to be FSU against OSU, which would be, um, I think, somewhat of an intriguing matchup, although uh, I think as long as Winston plays in the game, I, I would pick FSU. Well, this, uh, this segment went by very fast, and the good news is the, the next segment will be reserved for college basketball. A lot of exciting things. We're going to be talking about players. We're going to be talking about teams, surprises. And we're going to be getting right into it in three minutes. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. 
injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you are listening to bruce the sports doc with dr bruce grossinger if you have a question or comment about today's program please call in at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the final segment of Bruce the Sports Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I practice neurology and sports medicine in the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas. If you're anywhere near our office and you'd like a consultation with one of our experts, please call us in Pennsylvania, 610 610- 521-6063, or in the fine tax-free state of Delaware, 302-636-0920. We participate with virtually all major insurance carriers. We take care of everything from concussions to neck, back, and orthopedic injuries. And I think you'll like our proactive style. Really appreciate you listening in, and let's get right into college basketball. We'll start off with the team that shocked everybody last year in the NCAA tournament. In fact, their name, or their name is the Shockers, Wichita State Shockers. Resident expert here on the Missouri Valley is Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. Let's break down Wichita State, their season, and their future. This season is probably the most hyped-up Wichita State team I've seen. I mean, even though you have... Um, Malcolm Armstead, and you have Carl Hall leaving the team. There were two uh, very significant players that helped um, Wichita State go on the run last year in the NCAA tournament. Even though they're not here anymore, they've still uh, filled the void very nicely. Uh, Fred Van Vliet has taken over at point guard. He can shoot the ball. Another year of experience for the young kid, for the underclassman from Rockford, Illinois. He's going to be a special player in the Missouri Valley Conference. Conference. He just has so much poise for a, for a young guy. He can shoot the ball. He's very under control. Even though he's undersized, he could still he still has great touch. Um, can hit the floater. Can hit all the shots he needs to. Controls the offense as a catalyst. They also have Ron Baker, who's one of the most competitive players in all of college basketball. He'll take a charge and do anything for his team to win the game. He's a defensive stopper. He could stretch the floor by shooting threes. He's just a guy that's just um, going to get the job done. 
and he doesn't really care how. He's one of the hardest workers in college basketball. They have Clay Anthony Early, who's just a talented scorer, a guy who's going to be a, a nice NBA pro at the next level. He's the technically the best player on the team because of his scoring ability, but he complements Baker, and he complements Fred Van Fleet very well. So they have a very deep team. Just the athletes, even Nick Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins' brothers on Wichita State, and the athletes that they put on the floor. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, year after year, they get carbon copies of guys like Carl Hall, guys that are just terrific at rebounding the basketball and defending on the perimeter without fouling. And you look at college basketball now, if you can play defense, you can you can really stay in ball games. But Wichita State also has the ability, with the guys that I mentioned, to, to really put points on the board as well. So they really have a lot of talent. Um, and Wichita State should be ranked very high. If they get um, higher than a, 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 a third seed in the NCAA tournament, I think that that would be a disappointment for the boys in Wichita. They're looking like an Elite Eight contender right now um, with the way that they're stacking up with this college basketball landscape. Uh, I wanted to mention that I am very proud of Roy Williams for scheduling a game at UAB, um, University of Alabama, Birmingham. I mean, one of his assistant coaches actually went to the University of Alabama, Birmingham. But for North Carolina to go south like that and to play a, a Conference USA school uh, in a hostile gym in Alabama, and even though they ended up losing, it's just a great Um, It was a sign of bravery for North Carolina, and even though they're going to get punished in the polls, I still respected the heck out of Roy Williams for taking the trip down and by putting his team at risk to lose a game because not only will his team grow from that tough loss yesterday in the state of Alabama – but it's also a great sign to college coaches and to, and to programs that are, part, that are not part of the Power Six that there's still hope that you can host a home game versus an elite school and an elite college. So it was great seeing that. I, I believe Oklahoma State also, which is um, top eight in the nation with Marcus Smart as point guard, uh, a terrific basketball team. They went to South Florida uh, to, play, to play a game there. And again, I love the schools from the Power Six being able to step out and, and, and giving these smaller conference schools a chance to host a home game and going on the road. It's just a beautiful thing that interweaves college basketball. And even though North Carolina fans are ripping Roy Williams, I actually am going a different route and complimenting him on making the game more entertaining and evening out the balance of college basketball. Well, we, uh, we saw some great tournament basketball. That's one thing really nice about the Thanksgiving tournaments. You get a nice mix of games. And our local team, the Villanova Wildcats, certainly one of my favorite teams, extending back to Raleigh Massimino's 1985 improbable victory, one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history, the Villanova Wildcats beating the George Hoyas. Jay Wright and Villanova, They've been battered the last few years. They've been underachievers. And they started off real strong this year at the Atlantis Classic. Just a really cool environment down in the Bahamas. A really a very interesting-looking stadium with the dark blue surrounding the stadium. Very festive with the coaches just wearing short sleeve shirts. Not quite Hawaii, but uh, we'll call it Hawaii South. And we saw Villanova 
win two impressive games. We saw him beat number two Kansas Jayhawks with Andrew Wiggins, with self, with the fashion designer Perry Ellis, a team that's loaded. When we saw Kansas beat Duke, there's no way I thought that Villanova would have a chance to even stay on the same court. But an amazing victory and very exciting. Absolutely. I mean, I think it told us actually a lot more about Kansas losing to Nova than it did um, about Villanova winning the game. I think that Kansas showed that they still are a very young team that's still learning, and they're not quite ready to be on Michigan State's level. They struggled with the poise of coming out, and they were they were not very focused. And then the following day, they beat, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they beat UTEP, I believe, by four po- only four points. I probably got that wrong, but... Um, you know, Kansas overall did not have a good showing in the Bahamas. They they really got um, Villanova really came out of the gates and stormed at Kansas. Villanova has a lot of wing players that are very impressive, and Villanova's length and athleticism. I mean, Jay Wright loves to recruit athletic players. It really works in college basketball because at the defensive end, if you have the height, you know, and you have shooters like Ryan um, Archidiano. Uh, if you have shooters and, and and defenders like that, you can compete at any level. And the game is really turning into a slugfest uh, on the defensive end. And Villanova has an opportunity to be a very special team, to be a Sweet 16 caliber team this year, just because of the athletes that they have. And if they continue with their conditioning, continue to emphasize defense, they're going to end up beating some great teams this year in the Big East Conference. So Jay Wright really has a nice canvas for him to construct this team, his his work of art. He has the ability. This team has the ability to be a Sweet 16 team and with the right matchup, an Elite 8 team because of the ability that they have to shoot the three and because of their defensive ability. I was impressed with Villanova sticking with Iowa after Iowa jumped on them early. They got down to it defensively in the second half of the championship game in the Bahamas. And you know what? They ended up hitting timely three-pointers. And Villanova right now is playing with a ton of confidence, a team you don't want to see. For Kansas, I still like Ellis. I still really like um, their young center. Uh, and, and I really do like Frank Mason. I like a lot of pieces that, that the Kansas Jayhawks have. Um, I think his name is Embiid. Yes, his name is Embiid, their center. I still love the pieces that they have. Trust me, Bill Self will get this team right. I'm not worried about this team. But it shows you they still have a lot of learning to do. And Andrew Wiggins, he's not even in my top five right now because he's just not showing the ability. um, His moves are just way too raw for me. Uh, He hasn't really perfected a step back. or uh, He's just relying on his pure athletic ability, which in the NBA, he needs to develop some potent and go-to offensive moves uh, like Jabari Parker has at Duke. So you look at Villanova, big win in the Bahamas. Yeah, that stadium... Last point I want to make is college basketball is so special because teams can fly out and play games very easily and conveniently, whereas in football you need to get fans, you need to get stadium, you need to really plan out the game. But college basketball, it's like, hey, 
put up some baskets, get the regulation size floor, put some hardwood down, get out of basketball and start playing. I mean, if you looked at that uh, Bahamas championship, it looked like the teams were going out into a hotel lobby. It looked like they were playing in the hotel lobby. I mean, that was fantastic. And the fans could just go on the court after the game, celebrate without any precautions. It was just college basketball at its finest, a really authentic place to play a game. I just got to say that college basketball is so cool because of how convenient it is to begin and to play college basketball. Well, you look at Villanova's schedule, they should roll easily through the next few games. They've got some big five games, Penn, St. Joe's, they play Ryder. And their next big test will be at Syracuse, at the Carrier Dome, after Christmas, December 28th, nationally televised 1 o'clock game. So certainly we look at the team, we see Pixton Bell, uh, Archo Duracamo, can't say that name. Try to say that name while you're whistling eat crackers. <laughs> Certainly uh, uh, a very interesting player. Very confident. Ice water down his veins. Putting up threes. Keeping him in the game against Iowa. Basically allowing for the game to go into overtime. And just putting up threes unconscious. Despite the fact that he started the year ice cold. And a shooter is going to shoot the ball. And to Jay Wright's credit, he just told him, you got a shot, take it. Jay Wright's players are loose. They look very athletic. And I think they're going to be well-equipped to tackle the Big East schedule. Certainly looking through the Big East, you see Marquette, very athletic team. You look at Creighton, a team that started off strong, had two pretty uh, disheartening losses. But they're going to get it together. And I'm, I'm looking at the matchup at home at the Wells Fargo Center I'm really targeting January 20th, Villanova and Creighton. That's going to be an amazing game. Absolutely. I mean, you have Creighton going to Anaheim, and San Diego State's a very talented team. And they really had some guards out there on the perimeter that got hot in that game. Creighton had a big win versus Arizona State. They kind of were, I'm not going to say they were feeling themselves, but they were really riding high. And their defensive intensity in the first half naturally was not as strong as it should have been. I still think Doug McDermott is is probably the best player in college basketball. Just the way he, the multiple ways in which he could score the basketball and the ways that which the teammates use Doug. I do think that Will Artino and Avery Dingman are going to need to come up and play more off, more offensively, um, just have more potent moves towards the basket. I want to see them throw the ball in the post to Will, let him get some experience battling with the big guys uh, down low and making some moves on the offensive end. And if you, as a player, if you're getting up shots on the offensive end, uh, then you're going to be your intensity. You're going to be a lot happier on the defensive end. So I want to see Will get some more touches. Uh, Avery, I still think that he can really shoot the basketball from deep. He he had some opportunities to put it on the floor. I'd like to see him even make some more mistakes, being less afraid to fail out there on the court, and that can really help Creighton if they can get those two offensive weapons to start producing more for them. They are closer than people think.
So that will wrap up our show this week. I want to thank everybody for joining us. We had a ton of sports to talk about. It was like a sports buffet this weekend. We just had so much to munch on. We're glad that we can cover a ton of topics. And this is one of the best times of the year. You got college basketball firing up. The last three weeks of college football are about as intense and yet confusing and just pure chaos is the word for the last few weeks of college football and now you have the NFL playoffs the landscape is starting to take form and you have some some awesome football games that could really determine which teams are prime and set to go to New York for Super Bowl in 2014 so Bruce the Sports Stock take us away man thanks again for a wonderful week and I hope you guys have a wonderful week thank you Thanks for listening. As always, play hard, play safe, but don't come in second place. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.